Hey, what's up? This is Jason from Centerpoint Church in Hendersonville, Tennessee. We're so excited to spend some time with you today. We hope that this message inspires you and makes you continue living life on purpose and for a purpose. Let's jump right into the message. So thankful that you are here today. Hey, well, who says you can't have fun at church, right? Right, I'll get out of your way. Hey, I want to say happy Valentine's Day. My name is Jason. If it's your first time here, you haven't been here in a while, in the back of all the chairs, you're going to see a Connect card. Please consider filling that out, dropping it off in the offering plate, or just leaving it on the seat. I would love to personally this week reach out to you, say hi, answer any questions, and uh, it's my privilege to serve this place each and every week. So consider filling that out. If you take it at Welcome Central, Don's going to give you an awesome gift that I had to pay for, so feel free to stop by and do that. It is Valentine's Day, and uh, is Lauren in here, or is she serving somewhere? Okay, so I asked Lauren, I actually asked her husband Thomas what he got her for Valentine's Day, and he said a KitchenAid mixer. So let's talk a little bit about that. Gentlemen, if you've been married like one, two, three years, or as Gerald says, one, two, three year, you want to get him something a little more romantic, but after you've been married four, five, six, seven, eight year, a KitchenAid mixer is pretty romantic. Ladies, can I get an amen? Oh, yeah. Some of you, that's the only time you're going to clap this entire message, which says more about you than it does my preaching. But I was going to start off the service by telling you different Valentine's gifts that people have got their, ex, their, their not their exes, that they have got their spouses, uh, like sweet ones, nice ones. But those aren't very interesting. What's more interesting is what people have gotten people for Valentine's Day after they've been dumped. And that is a more interesting story. So there's, there's two that I, that I, Lauren, I just said your name like 30 seconds ago. Now you come in. Now, there, there's two that really were interesting to me. One of them was a guy that posted for 20 bucks, he will handwrite a card anonymously, send it to your ex, and then like just say, hey, thank you for letting that person go because now we're about to get married and I'm rich and we're really happy. And so you could do that. Hannah, yeah, yeah. The other one, and this is far more interesting, El Paso, Texas Zoo, for $25, you can have them name a cockroach after your ex. It gets better. It gets better. It gets so much better. And they will feed it to a meerkat and then mail your ex a certificate of death explaining what happened. That was definitely created by a woman. Isn't that right, Adam? Because that is, I mean, that is painful. That's, that's turning the knife and putting a little salt in the wound. Carmen's like, nope, I've done it. We're on this collection of talks called The Heart Matters, and I'm so thankful that you're here today. You had every reason not to be here. Cold weather, drummer didn't show up, all different types of reasons. But you know what? I'm not going to let that distract me because we're going to be preaching from the Word of God today. And I'm just audacious enough to think that no matter what your season is, no matter what you're going through, no matter where you are, that the Word of God is a spiritual onion, man, with layers. And if you read it, it'll make you cry. That's a good preacher joke right there. But we're on this series called The Heart Matters because the heart is the key. So many times in Scripture, especially in the New Testament, you hear through different letters talking about guard your heart, guard your heart, guard your heart. What is that? mean to guard your heart. And so during this course of the series, we're talking about your heart, why it matters, why it's important. Last week, we had a message called the birds and the bees. 
and we talked about why God created intimacy and what it was for. This week, we're going to be talking about the priority of purity. So if you're taking notes, the priority of purity. Now, when I say purity, you're probably thinking in your mind, like, this is going to be a true love waits type of a message. You know what I mean? Like, if you liked it, then he put a promise ring on it. But, but it's not going to be about that because purity is so much more than just physical. See, see we, we, we think of purity and we think, ah, that's just for young people who aren't married yet. Oh, no, no, gentlemen. Gentlemen, if you're anything like me, fighting for purity of your mind, purity of what your eyes look at, purity of what your ears hear, purity of what your mouth says is important. And those are heart issues. Those are, are trans, they're not transgressions, they're iniquities, they're sins of the heart. These are things that we have to talk about. Have any of you ever been to the beach? You ever been in the ocean? Two people have been to the ocean in this whole room. Raise your hand if you have not ever been to the ocean. Okay, all right. That's a good way to get audience participation. I hate the ocean. I do. I'm so sorry. Like, sand is disgusting. It gets everywhere, and I mean everywhere. And like, amen, and like, salt water's gross, and there's like weird things under the water that wrap around my feet, and I'm like, no, no, they say, and then your skin dries out, and I'm just, I just, just not for me. I'm glad y'all like it. It's just not for me. But one time, I went in the water, and I was jumping around in the waves like you guys do, and and you look over, and after about 20 minutes, your towel and your umbrella and everything is like way over there. And you're like, how did this happen? How did we get this far away from where my ice chest is? And, and how, did, how, did I, how, how do I get back over there? And, and this is what I want you to understand, that purity is the same way. Is rarely do we wake up and say, you know what, I'm going to do some impure things today. It's mostly just the culture that we're in, and it slowly makes you drift away without even noticing it. And that's what I want to talk about. So here's the definition of impurity. When you have a substance mixed together with foreign matter. A substance mixed together with foreign matter. My grandma, who's from Kentucky, she said inappropriate things all the time. And if you just say, bless her heart in the South, you can say anything about anybody. So bless her heart. She would say, one turd in the punch bowl ruins the party. She would say that in the most inopportune, inappropriate times. Uh, but that's kind of the same thing, is impurity. And so I want us to look at two different things today. We're going to be looking at one portion of Scripture that's going to talk about Jesus and his last major recorded prayer before the cross. And then we're going to talk about a guy by the name of Lot. In fact, we're going to talk a lot about a guy named Lot. This is where I'm going to pause for your applause of how witty and charming I am. But let's first talk about Jesus for just a moment. Jesus is about to go to the cross. We're hours away, and he takes time to pray. And I'm going to imagine that if you grew up in church, you've heard this portion of Scripture a lot. But please, let's have ears to hear what God has for you today in this. Don't let the, old, the good news become old news. Don't let this become monotony to you when you read the same portions of Scripture. This is powerful. If Jesus knows that his earthly ministry is about to end, and he takes time to pray, I want to know. And the beloved disciple John writes for this through the Holy Spirit. We get a chance. You and I in 2021 get a chance to kind of see behind the curtain and see the heart of Jesus and what was going through his mind right before he goes to the cross. Don't let this go by you. This is powerful. This is important. So we're in John chapter 17. And, and when, what would Jesus pray for 
right before he's about to die, what would he pray for? Would he pray for, I mean, I know what I'd be praying for. I'd be praying, let this cup pass from me, but I just keep praying to, no matter what. Or, or I'd be praying like, okay, if it has to happen, make sure it's quick and, and painless. And, and, and it's interesting. The last two things that Jesus prays for are his disciples and then you and I. His disciples and you and I. So he takes three years training these men, and now he's about to kind of leave them. And he knows they're in good hands because the Holy Spirit's about to show up. But, but the Roman Empire is in control. And I don't know if you know much about history, but it's not a great time in the history of the world to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, to be a follower of the way. And so he's praying for them. And, and I don't know what he would pray for them that would be appropriate for what they're all about to go through, all but one, a martyr's death. I don't, I don't know. But then he prays for you and I. I'll be quiet. Let's, let's read what he prays. 17 verse 15. This is Jesus praying to God. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth your word is truth. Sanctify, make holy, set apart, be special. Verse 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. And now he pivots. And now he's talking to Abba Father about you and I. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Pause that for a moment. Take that down so they don't cheat and read ahead. Jesus isn't praying for you and I to have a nice, comfortable, safe life. He didn't pray for you to have your dream job. He didn't pray that you would be happy. He didn't pray that you would be comfortable or rich or wealthy or have a good-looking wife or any of these things. Jesus didn't pray for any of that. He prayed for the church to be unified Oh, he didn't pray that a particular denomination would rise amongst the, above the rest. Oh, he didn't pray that we would sit around and be divisive on Facebook complaining about Democrats and Republicans, complaining about things with, you know, your boss or your job. Or, he didn't pray for any of those things. He prayed for unity. Why? We talked about this a few weeks ago. The devil is not afraid of a big church. He's afraid of a unified church. And Jesus took time on some of his last hours on earth to pray for you and I, brothers and sisters, that we may be unified. Oh, the world, Satan really, the prince of the air, wants everybody to be divided and wants us to look at what is different amongst us, race, gender, political party, socioeconomic status. And there's a million different ways that we can be different, but that won't attract the world. Let's see what else he said. Verse 21, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you and I are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that, here it is, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are, one I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete Unity, you're going to see the same theme over and over and over again. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Notice, 
Why is there unity? So that the world will know that Jesus is real. The world isn't going to come in here if we're fighting amongst ourselves and arguing about what color the walls need to be painted. Are you kidding me? We can have divisiveness anywhere in the world. What does it look like if it's unity? It's a group of believers from different backgrounds that say, it may not be my preference, but we'll put that aside for the purpose so that the world may know that Jesus of Nazareth died on the cross and rose again, and you can have eternal life through him. This is the part where you give God a shout of praise. Come on, church. So here's that phrase, in the world, but not of the world. Like, that's kind of a weird phrase. I remember when I was in VBS, and and the teacher would tell me, Jason, you know, in between graham crackers and apple juice, this is what you have at VBS, telling me I need to be in the world but of the world. And at seven years old, I'm like, what are you talking about, lady? Like, in the world, does that mean I dig a tunnel like a troll and live underground? How do I not be of the world? I live here. I want to dissect that for a moment. In the world, but not of the world. So Jesus is talking about in the world, who is the prince of the air, who is the God, lowercase g, of this world right now. It is Satan. And so when he says in the world, we're talking about involved in things that Satan is involved in or ways that he can distract us from our purpose so that we are unintentionally drifting away from our beach towel and our umbrella. So how do we be in the world but not of the world, because clearly we're not supposed to just go live in the lobby of a lifeway. So, so how do we go reach the world without kind of being influenced by the world? And, and this is what I was told. This is the Rosetta Stone to unlock it. I was told by a friend of mine who works out a lot. Now, he's interested in being like, you know, gains, right, and like get, get buff and, and big-shouldered. I kind of go for the lean six-pack look, obviously. But he goes for the... I don't even remember the phrases he says, but he's a meathead, but, but he's into it. And, and I remember him telling me this. This unlocks it. Listen to this. He's a personal trainer. Cody, it's not you, but you know what I'm talking about. He doesn't work out with dudes that look like me. He trains dudes that look like me, but he don't work out with guys like me. Why? Because I'm done in about 15 minutes if I go once a week. Right, Corey? But he don't want to train with me. He trains me. But when he works out because he takes it serious because he's ready and he wants to continue to improve, he works out with other bodybuilders. This is the same way with our spiritual life. We need to be sharpening each other with brothers and sisters that are in Christ that have the same common denominator as you, but then we also need to be going and reaching out to people. It's simple. You're poured into, you pour out, but we often do one or the other. We surround ourselves only with Christian friends, and and there's nothing wrong with that, but we lose our purpose. Or you go the opposite end of the spectrum, and you start hanging out and being influenced by people in the world, and next thing you know, you're in the world, and you're of the world. And the victim is often our family, our friends, and our children. The rest of this is really for you that have children or grandchildren. This should be a warning How do we become in the world but not of the world? I want you to look at your life like it's a diet. And we are constantly feeding ourselves, and I I have to be very intentional about this. We are feeding ourselves things of the world. Let there be light. I know. We're getting new lights hopefully next week, so bear with us. 
That's just for emphasis. It's good. It's all right. Every time I start getting my voice riled up, if we can just bring the lights up and then just lower it. They say when you want to hide something, you put it right out in the open. So there it is. Ask yourself your diet. And what are we inundating our mind with from the moment we wake up? Let me just tell you. I wake up. I'm trying to get some coffee. My kids are like, we got to get them dressed. We got their teeth brushed. We got to get them to school. We listen to the radio. We come home. We go to work. We come home. We watch TV. And we're just making our minds think of the world. There was a guy in the first service, and he, he, he posted something in our, our Facebook group for the men. And he said that he's just started having, having worship music on in the background as he's working, just in his AirPods, or just, just real subtle. It's not like he's walking down the hallways next to the coffee machine saying, oh, the over. No, he, but he just has it. And when he's in the, in the car, he does. And he says it's been amazing. He has slept better. He has been more positive. He has thought better thoughts. He's not complaining as much. And it's just amazing. Why? Because we don't even realize it. But here's that I, I want you to hear this. We are constantly feeding ourselves with impurity. We are constantly feeding ourselves with impurity. I, I try to diet. I'm just not very good at it. Does any of you guys ever diet? Is anybody on diet right now? Don't point to your spouse. It's a terrible idea. You're on a diet right now. I, I want to eat good. I really do. Like, I don't want high cholesterol. I don't want to die of heart disease. Like, I have the body of a god, but it's Buddha, lowercase g. Like, I want to diet and, like, do the right thing, but my schedule is so weird. If any of you have ever been in ministry, you know what I'm talking about, Adam. Like, you have late hours. You come home late at night. Here's the problem. It's when you're starving, you'll settle for anything. I got home last night at about 1030. I was hungry. I didn't say, you know, I'm going to go home, make myself a grilled salad, chicken salad, don't want to eat too much. It's late. No, dude, listen, I was starving. Two words, Taco Bell. Make a run for the border. In the morning, you make a run for the bath. I shouldn't finish that. Because I'm starving. And we feed ourselves the world, and then we wonder why we can't have victory. For years, I looked at my life and thought, why can I not have victory over this habitual sin? I ask God forgiveness. I want so badly to eliminate this from my life, but why can't I have victory? And I had to look at my life and say, you know what? Everything I listen to glorifies this impurity. Everything I watch glorifies this impurity. A lot of the things that I say glorifies this impurity. And then when I'm home alone and just the laptop is there, I wonder why I can't have victory. It's because I fed myself impurity over and over and over again. And my heart had become callous to the Holy Spirit. It, have you ever shook hands with a guitar player? No, not these hands. These hands are moisturized, not a callous on them, baby. I'm, I'm talking like that's something to brag about, but whatever. The guitar player, man, I got calluses all over here. Why? Because when you first start learning how to play it, like it hurts, but then after a while you keep playing over and over again, and then you don't even feel it anymore. And that's what I found myself in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's still in me because I'm a child of God, but my habitual sin and being inundated with things of the world had really put a callus over my heart from hearing the Holy Spirit. That's why Satan wants us to sin. That's why Satan wants us in, in bondage. Once we're a child of God, we're a child of God, but, but you can quench the voice of the Holy Spirit. And that's kind of what we've been talking about as a community lately. And, and, and I hear that when you 
lift weights, you're, you're tricking your body into thinking you need more muscle to survive. That your body's this amazing computer that determines what you need to survive. And so when you're lifting weights, you're tricking your, your brain, really, into thinking, I need more muscle mass so that I can survive. So that's why you lift weights. That's why you get swole. I don't know why. I've never said that before in my life. But, but that's why, clearly, I don't know the terms of lifting weights. But it's the same way we, we can trick our brain and our actions into, Paul calls it a circumcision of the heart. And we can cut things away that take the impurities out. And we're going to learn from the story of Lot how it takes a toll on our families and our kids, gentlemen. There's no such thing as sin in a vacuum. And we're going to hear a story from Lot that should get your spidey senses tingling. It should be an alarming story of how our environment affects our family. We're in Genesis chapter 13. If you didn't bring a Bible or don't have the app, we'll have it up on the screen, but not yet. Let me explain Lot to you for a moment. So Lot is the nephew of Abram. It's going to be Abraham, but for now it's Abram. They're the same. And Lot is his nephew. And Lot and Abraham are so blessed by God that their cattle, their goats, their sheep, their servants, it's growing so much that it's kind of like they're starting to quarrel. Like the shepherds are getting mad because they're like, no, no, that's my sheep. No, no, that's my sheep. And then they build this octagon, and then they fight, and the winner takes the sheep. None of that part is true. But they, they have to separate just a little bit. And so Abram is going to do what wise men do, and they say, he says, I'm going to let you lot choose anywhere you want to plant your family, your house, and everything. And I want you to hear what Lot does. We're in Genesis chapter 13, verse 8. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is it not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, then I'll go left. Lot looked around and saw the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zoar was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So that's God's way of like whispering, hey, spoiler alert, I'm going to wipe the whole thing out. Verse 11, so Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived amongst the cities and the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and sinning greatly against the Lord. What, later on in the story, we hear that, that Lot actually had the opening of his tent facing Sodom. Because it was, it was probably a beautiful city, but, but also like he knew that he could go down there and make some money. You know, it's a big city. And so I don't think Lot sought having his family living in Sodom and Gomorrah because he knew. And he's a man after God's own heart, but he didn't, be, he wasn't intentional about what direction he was leaving, leading his family towards. And we can learn a lot from this. Now, I had an idea that, because I'm a huge visual guy, I wanted to, like, have a cool visual on stage of, like, this tent and, like, you know, a cool manly tent and then what I was going to do is use it as the visual, but, but I don't own a tent because I like to sleep indoors. I have a job, so I don't have to sleep outdoors. So I didn't have that, 
I've also got daughters, and so I brought what I had. And so this is supposed to represent Lot's tent. Um, it's actually a castle where the fairy godmothers live, clearly. And so I, I want you to see this, but I also want you to have a visual of this because under this silly visual aid, there's a deep theological truth. So he starts off by putting his family facing the city, but they're away from the city. And so you could justify it. And this is just to kind of pull back my ribcage and show you my heart for a moment. This is the story of my life, really, up till about five years ago when Jesus really got a hold of me. It was I wanted just enough of the world to enjoy bits and pieces of it. But that wasn't what Jesus' prayer was. Jesus' prayer was that we would be sanctified, that we would be holy, that we would be set apart. But often there's things in the world that I kind of miss. To be honest, like there's a part of me. He's just on the, the, the hill, just facing the city. And, and then eventually he'll just go down into the city for business and then come back. And, and, and then it's like, well, I'm already going down there a lot, so I might as well just get a little bit closer so it's not as long of a commute. And, and then it's like, well, you know what? If I did this with my family, we could benefit. And so how does this apply to our lives? Like, my kid is on a traveling soccer team, and there's games on Sundays, and we'll miss some Sundays, but it's going to benefit them. So, so we'll, we'll just miss once in a while, and then, and then this show's really good, and I know that it has gratuitous sex and cussing and violence, and, but, but the plot is so good. Like, I really enjoy it. And, and so then what happens is, is that these groups of kings come together, and they attack Sodom and Gomorrah, and they defeat it. And they start taking what, what you did back in the day when you defeated the city. You take the gold, you take the treasure, you take the animals, you take the women, like, you, and, and, and they siege the city. We don't hear from Lot again for a few verses later. And the next time we hear from Lot, so it starts off with he's just on the hill looking at the city. The next thing is in chapter 14, verse 12, and it's just real subtle. Here it is. They, which is the people that defeated the city, also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. Real subtle. He didn't wake up thinking, I'm going to have my family live in Sodom. And here's what God really impressed upon me this week, and it's been miserable. You and I as parents and as grandparents, don't miss this, we set the paradigm for our children as to what a godly life looks like. So what they hear you say, what they see you watch, what they hear you listen to sets the paradigm for how a Christian acts. That's not fun. It's not fun at all. You see, Lot does escape the city before it gets destroyed. But I think about what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.33. He says, bad company corrupts good morals or good character. Have you ever had someone, Tristan, hey, have you ever had your parents, I'm so glad you're here every week, I really am. 
Have you ever had your parents say, watch out who you hang out with? Because, like, you're going to end up like them. Like, they tell you that kind of stuff all the time. Do you listen? Kind of. Yeah. Oh, look at her. She grounded now. She grounded, y'all. We say that to our kids, and we know that it's true. We're like, man, listen, if you hang out with that boy, don't be around those kids. But the reality is you and I as adults, we may not be around like bad people necessarily, but we are inundated with things of the world all the time. Now, don't worry. I'm going to tell you what the solution is. It's in the Word of God. I mean, some of you are like, Geez, so thankful we came to church today. Guess we're not finishing Game of Thrones. <laughs> uh, no, we're going to end it with something good. But, but I also don't want you to miss out on this because there's a huge, huge story of the effect it had on Lot's family. I was a youth pastor for a long time. Before that, I worked in middle school. And we had a girl that she delivered our house all the time and ate all of our food. And uh, she told me something one time. She, she's so dramatic, all right, like your typical 15-year-old girl. And I love my time as a youth pastor. I plan on being a youth pastor for the rest of my life. They just don't pay very well. Uh, amen, Ken. But, but I remember this girl, and, and we still talk, and I would love when a new guy would come to the youth group because he would, she would, oh, my goodness, she was like a piranha on a hamburger. Like she would be like, oh, new guy, huh? Hi. I almost said her name. I, sh- I can't. And I would just sit back and watch. Like, this was my own personal reality TV show. Like, I loved it because I was like, this dude right here, small step above a Cro-Magnon man, he has no idea the, the emotional tornado that he's about to walk into. And I would just sit back, and, and they would be great for, you know, a week or two. And then I'd see, like, oh, they're sitting by each other now. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Dude, you're in trouble. You don't even know it. And, and then I would see her crying during worship. And I know she ain't crying because God's speaking to her through the song. She's crying because her relationship is on the rocks. And he's sitting there clueless, has no idea. And she'd be like, it's over. Pastor Jason, I thought he was the one. And I'm like, yeah, he was the one. He was the one this month. Absolutely he was. And, 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 then, and then, like, we, we would counsel her, and my wife and I would meet with her, and we would try to just, like, not roll our eyes and laugh. And, and she would be like, Pastor, I've got the whole world figured out. I know what it is. And I'm like, yeah, of course you do, because you're 15. You don't pay any of your own bills. You don't have a job. Please tell me what the world is all about. Let's hear it. And she goes, the problem with life is that it's just so daily I looked over at my wife, and I'm driving home, and I'm like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. The problem with life is it's just so daily. And and I wake up the next morning, and it's kind of still on my mind, and I'm thinking to myself, that is actually brilliant. (laughs) How on earth did this girl, can't even brush her teeth without getting emotional, just tell me. What might be the secret to it all. You see, you and I, we, we live daily. We do. And so when things happen bad in our day, it, it, it starts kind of changing our mind. And then we wake up the next day. And then next thing we know, it's just kind of unintentional. And we've slowly changed who we are. And, and some of us, it's, some of it's, it's, it's uh, uh, habitual sin. 
I think about heart disease. Heart disease didn't, doesn't get here because I eat one piece of fried chicken. What is it? Lots of small decisions that slowly change the inside of your body. It's the same way with your heart. The heart matters. Lots of little victories or little defeats add up to who you are. So here's the cool part about the brain is it can be changed. Once you have a synaptic gap, you can recreate the grooves in your brain, but it takes consistently, consistency over time. But we create this impure ecosystem, and, and the impurity in my life, it perpetuates, it sustains, it nurtures itself, and it's kind of like mold in your house, and it kind of sticks there, and, and it grows. And you can ignore it all you want, but it, it, it grows. So let's talk about what happens to Lot at the end. And this is what we, we, we need to talk about. He gets out of the city. You think that would be the wake-up call when he's like, hey, I don't know how I got myself into this mess, but, but thank goodness because when, when he was being taken away, old Uncle Abram came in and saved him, took him out of the city. The next time we hear from Lot, he's back in the city. And he's not only back in the city, Scripture says that he's waiting at the gates when the angels come. Now, you might think, what's the big deal about Sodom? Read that story. And you're going to see some, you think the United States is bad right now. Read the actions of the men in that city. Culturally, if you're at the city gates, that doesn't mean that, like, you know, you're just hanging out against the wall with your foot up smoking a cigarette, like, outside of the Circle K. Like, it means that that's where people did business. So it implies, and we don't know, but it implies that not only now is he in the city again, but now he's part of the leadership of the city because that's where business would take care of. That's where the men would make decisions over the town. And so how did we start here and slowly over time make our way here? And then as you know, because Jesus, God told, told us, the spoiler, that he destroys the city and Lot does get out. But it's not without casualties. You know the story probably. His wife turns to salt and there's a heart issue. She can't let go of those things. His daughters get out of the city, but there's remnants. There's, there's effects because now their mindset and their heart is warped from years of growing up in that environment because they didn't know any better. That's just what they grew up in. So are the pleasures of the world worth the long-term effects can have on our family. Is it worth it? Are you willing to risk it? That's the question. And I just want to end with this. I want to just end a little bit with my story, and then I'll give you the remedy. Five, six years ago, man, my, my life was a complete mess. Uh, riddle with pride addictions, habitual sin, you name it. And, uh, and I had to start examining things, man. I had to start examining who I was. And I didn't want to be the person that I was. And it was never really a conscious decision. It was just lots of little ones over time. And I remember one particular morning I woke up, not sure if my marriage was going to survive. And this was only five, six years ago. Not sure if I was going to have self-fulfilling prophecy and a child from a broken home is now going to raise his kids in a broken home. And, and it really forced me to 
examined my life and who I was and how I got there so that I knew what way to pivot. And I started to realize that early on, I wanted to be a man of God. I was raised in a single-parent home, and I didn't really know at that time what a man of God looked like. But I knew that I had the Word of God. And I had heard lots of preachers talk about how powerful the Word of God was. And when you don't know what to pray, just read Scripture out loud. And so I wrote this down, this portion of Scripture I want to share with you. It means so much to me because it brought me through some of the darkest times of my life. And I didn't know how to pray to God at that time. Some of you may be in that season right now where you don't know what to say. Or you may have had the devil trick you into thinking God doesn't want to hear from you because he's so disappointed in you. Just terrible theology. And just, I want to tell you that oftentimes our words can negate our prayers. We pray these things to God and we ask him for these things and then we say, that will never happen. Or this is why it won't happen. And it's almost like a missile that like, destroys your prayer before it can even reach God. Like your mouth is, your words are that powerful. The power of life and death is in the tongue. So it's in Philippians. It's Paul writing to the church of Philippi. And there's two different parts. I want you to hear the first one. Verse 6. This, is, this, this scripture means a ton to me. Hopefully it does to you in time. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If we can stop that for just a moment, and then I'm going to tell you the, we'll read the second part. This is, you, you, you could spend time just dissecting this. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, and it says that, that he'll guard your hearts and your minds. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. But it's in that order. And then this is the part I wrote down, and I just declared this over my life so that I could change from the inside out. Verse 8, finally, brothers and sisters, so he's talking to us in the church, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This was important to me because I would just dwell on my past. I would just dwell on my present. I would just dwell on the negative thoughts and negative words spoken over me by other people. And I said, you were from a broken home. So percentages say that you will also be divorced when Satan would tell me, you've messed up too much. That this can never be fixed. Your marriage is too broken to ever be repaired. And I would say, I will not focus on my present circumstances. I will focus on what is lovely, what is admirable, what is excellent, what is praiseworthy. And I will speak this into existence. I do not feel it, but I trust in God. And his word is powerful enough that I will say this over and over again till God brings it to fruition. This is where you give God a shout of praise, church. Come on. And when you do that, listen to how he ends it. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. One of our core values here is grow together, progress, not perfection. Put it into practice. We're not, 
we're not perfect, but we're practicing perfection. We're not righteous because of what we've done. No, no. He who knew no sin became sin so that we could be the righteousness of God. We're righteous because of Jesus, but we're all practicing. Sometimes you're going to miss that free throw. Sometimes you're going to shank that drive. Practice. Put into practice. And when you do that, then he ends it with this. And the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace. That's my prayer for you this week. Is that we will focus on what is good, what is admirable, what is praiseworthy. And that we can have unity and peace. Would you stand with me, church? Let's just close this out in prayer together. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, oh Lord. I stand here today, God, just proof that you use the foolish things in this world, God. For some reason, you seem to go out of your way to find the most broken things that the world has discarded, shine them up, redeem them, and then use them as instruments of your glory, Lord. And that's me. That's the men and women that are in here, Lord. And I just pray for each and every person that's in here, whatever season they're in, that they won't be focused on the daily, but they'll be focused on the seasons. And they'll be focused with an eternal perspective, God. And I pray for the men in here specifically, myself included, God, that you will give us the strength to lead our families well, that you will give us eyes and ears to protect our family and be aware. We want to raise our family, our children, our grandchildren, our nieces and nephews in an environment that lifts you up. And so that we don't only just raise many clones of ourselves, but that we raise young men and women of God. And for generations and for generations, they lift up your name. That's my prayer. Give us men in here strength today because it's tough. It's not easy. But our hope is in you, Lord. Lord, I love you. I praise you. And I would do anything for you. You know I would, God. And all God's people said, amen. Now, in just a moment, you may have If God spoke to you in any way during the course of this message, we want to hear about it. Reach out to us at centerpointtn.com. You can partner with us. You can send us a message. We'd love to connect with you.